Welcome to another episode of Nambar Brews. My name is Andy, I'm a beer lover, uh, and I make my own beer here in Cardiff in South Wales. And Nambar Brews is the name of my tiny little kitchen-based brewery, and it's also the name of this podcast. Nambar is a, a Welsh phrase, it means big brook or big stream. And yeah, it's the name of the area that I'm from. And also, I just like that idea of a steady flow of good stories and interesting people loosely linked to beer. And today I'm really excited about this guest because... He's written a book that is really, well, it's been a massive success for a start, but it's about a type of pub that I don't think people know enough about, and I'm fascinated to find out more. So it's David Jesudarson, and he is the author of Desi Pubs, A Guide to British Indian Pubs, Food and Culture, which, am I right in thinking that it's actually published by Camera? Is that right? It's part of their publishing? Yeah, it's, ca- it's ca- Camera Books, yeah. Let's talk about the book first and foremost, because it's been a huge success, which you must be really happy about, but... You know, give us the background. Why did you want to write it and, and what was the inspiration? From a personal point of view, it sort of came about because I did an article for Pellicle on Desi pubs, which I think that must have been during one of the lockdowns. I started to realise that it was quite a unique thing, but it wasn't really part of my culture growing up. I was from a place, a market town in Bedfordshire that didn't have these kind of pubs and I've discovered them very late on. But the culture has been growing in this country since the 1960s. So it's a very sort of um, introductory book for a lot of people. And I think what's done really well is that it has a 10,000 word intro that discusses what a Desi pub is, what Desi is. And it's really, I didn't really want to do a guidebook in that I wanted people to just be educated about the subject matter. But what what is unique about the book is you get educated about the subject matter and then you can go and try it for yourself. So you get all this stuff, which is really sort of critical racial theory, that kind of stuff, pegged onto my sort of personal story about growing up in this country. But then people really liked both bits of it. So all manner of people. So it's for everyone, really. So lots of Desis, Asian people, really liked the intro. And then they started going to a few different pubs. And then people who've never been to Desi pubs, going on adventures, tagging me in photos on Instagram and Twitter. And that's all I really wanted to do, really, was to introduce people to Desi pubs and see why they're so special and unique and, and have them celebrated in this way. So it's kind of remarkable that it's become this phenomenon but it's not a phenomenon I don't think I started they've always been there in plain sight they've just never been sort of talked about or written about in this way I first came across the the book uh, on social media and I think what you were saying there about people you know tagging you and you know trying these pubs is probably I probably saw one of those posts and thought these pubs look amazing the welcome the beer the food the atmosphere you could tell from the photos I was like I want to go to, I want to go to one of these pubs I still haven't yet, and I want to. And one of my questions is, obviously, I'm based in Cardiff, is... um, And by the way, I I must be honest with you, I haven't read the book yet. I ordered it yesterday. I can show you my receipt. I ordered it from from Camera Books. I think it's um, it's $14.99, and there's a delivery charge on top. So I'm looking forward to reading it. But, you know, one of my questions is, is there somewhere in Cardiff I can go to try it? But before we get there, let's just rewind, because I think you said something in, in your first answer about... You know, I just wanted to kind of educate people. So, you know, educate educate us, educate me, educate the listeners. Desi pubs are pubs which are run by the Asian diaspora, uh, people from the from India, particularly particularly Punjab region of India. So there's like 90% of Punjabis. The rest are probably uh, Gujus, 
or Nepalese people. The interesting thing about the word Desi is, is that Desi means the homeland. So it's people who have left India. So that's a very important word. Because growing up, I didn't have much Indian culture apart from food. And my parents like really kind of repressed that side of it. And so the word Desi, I find, is very inclusive when it comes to this idea of we're all together as part of a diaspora. And a Desi pub is a pub that's run by Indian people. But it's set up in the sort of furnace of racism. And that racism is... uh, can take the form of hostility but it can also take the form of a segregation and so a lot of the pubs that featured in the book they were formerly segregated pubs which had a white bar and a black bar and a brown bar whatever demarcations was made and the first real desi pubs were in the midlands they were pubs that were formally segregated and what would happen is um, Asians would go in, particularly members of the Indian Workers Association, particularly a gentleman called after Jahul Singh, and he wouldn't be served. And so what he did, they did a form of peaceful collective action and they went in with white people. The white people got served and they would pass them the drink. And when the landlord barred them, they'll take down the evidence and give it to uh, the licenses when the licenses came up for renewal and they would lose their license. Because of this, uh, the licenses were up for renewal and then Desi's would take them over. That's from like the sort of 1960s onwards. The first ever Desi pub was in Leicester. As, as we progress through the time, you find that in London particularly that they became a, a phenomenon in the 90s where people again needed safe space to drink, but licensing authorities wouldn't give them pub licenses. So they had to set up club licenses. And these were like... Like, if you imagine it, because it's quite funny, this is the irony is that members clubs, the famous one is the Hansworth Horticultural Institute, didn't allow non-white members. So they set up these clubs, but anyone could be a member and it would be something like you come in and you've got to sign your name on a on a sheet, that kind of thing. And white people were, of course, allowed in them. They had blacked out windows and a lot of people in the area thought they're sex clubs. And these pubs, which you still get today, have kind of morphed into what what they call sports bars. But they are pubs, they offer community cohesion, that kind of thing. The other thing is that these pubs aren't Asian pubs anymore. These are pubs for everyone. And that's the thing that people who have... I I do a lot of these events and talks, and one guy said, but isn't this just tourism? And what he meant by that is, isn't this just, we're going to be a bunch of white people go look around some Asian areas and you know feel unwelcome and all this kind of thing which I have to say is never the case there is no such place that white people feel unwelcome but the point is is that when I went to these pubs particularly the places in Smethwick, West Bromwich, uh, Southall all these things I was actually taken aback by white people who claim them as their own say this this is my favorite Desi pub this is that you know and they're very very proud of them because the pubs came in and they saved their community spaces. A lot of the pubs which were racist or hostile weren't run very well in any case aside from the racism. They yeah. often offered no food element, that kind of thing. And so there's like an array of different types of pubs, but there's like modern ones that have been taken over. Like there's the in Gateshead, there's the Soho Tavern. They have branches in the Midlands area, but they they've gone to the northeast, and they took over a village pub which was kind of dying. They said you'd occasionally get five or six people in the day, 
but they took it over and they still have those customers but they now draw in people from all rounds Scotland or even as far as Yorkshire and that kind of thing because your question about is there any in Cardiff the answer is no that's because a lot of the book is focused in London and the Birmingham black country area but I have gone and tried to go to other places there is one place in Wales on my radar which is but it's very far to get to sort of north wales if something happens and there's another book then maybe that that's the kind of place i'll cover for a place to have a desi pub there has to be sort of a a large asian population that's established and they're working hours which can they were working hours which are conducive to going to the pub yeah. because Glasgow has one, but it's set up and very modern. And there's lots of Asians, lots of Punjabis in Glasgow. But from what I've discovered, they were working hours that weren't conducive to go to to pubs. They were working long hours in the evenings and nights and weekends. So it is kind of a national phenomenon, but one that's very rich in certain areas of London, like North London, West London, and the whole of the Midlands. Right, let's let's paint the picture. For someone who has never heard of a Desi pub, uh, but is intrigued by this. You go into a Desi pub, or, you know, I, I, I know they'll all be slightly different, just like any pub is, is slightly different, but pick one of your favourites and just describe what an evening there is is like. What kind of beers are on offer? What kind of food is on offer? What's the kind of vibe? Just just, to, just kind of paint a picture. Yeah, so I think, like, the best example of this would be the Scotsman in Southall and Southall in West London. So, you have to do a long walk from the train station and it's in the heart of a residential area. And these are the pubs that normally would close down. Like near me, I live in southeast London, pubs like this are closing all the time. They have to offer something different. When you get to the pub, from the outside, it's like a very, you call it a housing estate pub. I don't really like these like classes terms, but you know, you you get the feel. These are the pubs that you ordinarily like think, oh, what am I going to get in here? But you'd notice certain signage like authentic Punjabi Kunzi, that kind of thing. And as you open the, the door, you're greeted very warmly. And it's pretty much like any pub that you'll remember that's very sort of ordinary. There'll be a few little telltale signs. There'll be like Punjabi Sikh heroes on the walls, but then there's also lots of sport stuff. They're very sport heavy. And then drink selection, very ordinary. There's never any craft in um, 90% of these pubs. We're talking like Cobra, Kingfisher, that kind of thing. Bottles of Tusker in the fridge. But then the food offering is exceptional. So the big um, star of the show is the mixed grill. And the mixed grill is a sizzling platter of marinated meats, pakoras cooked on a bed of onions and that comes out and it gives a lot of theatre because it fills the place with smoke and then also I mean we're at the Scotsman and the Scotsman is renowned for these jumbo naans which come out like like the catch of a day on a fish <laughs> they're, like, they're huge like you know people say that naans are like pillows I'd say they're more like in there they're more like duvets um, and, and sort <laughs> of cl- awesome. clean t- yeah, it is absolutely amazing. Everyone who goes there, and I honestly thought that no one would do this because it's like, oh, I tell you what, it must be at least half an hour walk from the train station. There's no bus or anything like that. They just, it is destination food. You know, every meal they cook there is brilliant. And that um, pub has, it's very skewed towards Asian people, but you'd say probably 50-50. They have people at the bar who have been in, living in Southall a long time, you know, born there, whatever. Southall, Southall was a Punjabi area that became very changed 
from the 40s, 50s onwards because of Heathrow Airport and various factories that serve that airport. So it's a very established Asian community. And what I love about it is that most people don't know sort of the history of India because we don't really know the history of this country, let alone other countries that we went and conquered. But the Punjab fractured after independence. And so Muslims and Sikhs were at war with each other. What Southall does really, really well is that the people from the Punjab, Sikhs and Muslims, live alongside very harmoniously. And I think that's a testament to this country and, and also like the social cohesion that these places offer. Southall is like a visit in itself. It has pan leaf shops, it has amazing restaurants, it has a real vibrant street culture. And I think that like in the past, people were very, white people were very racist towards it. But actually, if you go there, and they're more happy to, to go to a place, a sort of curry quarter, like Brick Lane, which is more Bangladeshi's curry houses serving food, which is approximation of Indian food. Whereas when you go to Southall, it's a very different experience. And that's what the, that's just one of the many places in the book. They all have this. And I think why it's like you talk about the success of it, it is that it has opened up a lot of people to new experiences in a, in a time when we've become kind of almost jaded by the craft beer movement kind of jaded by what breweries are doing, kind of jaded by tap rooms, and kind of jaded by this kind of homogenized experience that pub companies are offering us. And yeah. I know that's the case in Wales particularly, because you have a very strong pub companies are big, aren't they? Yeah, well, it's, the interesting thing about pubs in Wales, whereas it's a totally different podcast, is particularly in Cardiff, you've got incredible buildings, incredible old pub buildings that are still pubs at least, you know, they, a lot of them have survived. But yeah, they are becoming very, very similar. But then they kind of always were. Like the, the Brains pubs would always be selling the same Brains beer. It's just that back then, obviously, it was heavily cask and, and brewed in Cardiff. Oh, sorry, I just want to add one thing. I think that we, when we talk about, when certain people talk about tradition and traditional pubs, they have a very fixed idea of what they are. And I think that like people who didn't know the subject, I, I have to admit, I do read comments like so the bbc did a story about this and and they just post it and then you, the link and that's obviously mass readership and so there was things like what happens to traditional pubs why indians come and telling us how to run them and all this kind of ignorant stuff the reason why pubs are dying is because muslims don't drink and all this crap and i think the reason we have to remember why pubs are dying is a sociological change across the nation and pubs aren't frequented as much because supermarkets offer beer at a cheap price and people's working patterns have changed so i interviewed the cockle man yesterday the last ever cockle man in this country i went up to walsall to speak to him this is the heart of like sort of desi pub country and not once did he say oh yeah it's desi pubs that are fault where the cockle man don't exist in fact what he's said was the reason why cockle men don't exist and why i'm treated as a hero when i walk in and people want selfies is because they don't go to the pubs anymore they're like where are you why haven't i not seen you well it's because you don't go to the pub mm. and it's because of these changes of the way that we've done it that a lot of people will blame other factors but the reason is is that we, lots of people don't work in industries anymore where they finish at five o'clock have a few pints every day and go home for their dinner there's sociological reasons why that doesn't happen. Women have to work, wages have decreased. And none of this is the fault at all of Asian people. In fact, Asian people are here picking up the pieces and then getting blamed for it. And this is, it to me, is a very British way of looking at the world and seeing it as you've got to blame someone else while they're looking inwardly. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Can we, uh, I wanted to talk about your kind of beer background because usually I end up doing these interviews in an evening or an afternoon and I would always suggest that we both have a drink and then we have a conversation about, well, what have you chosen? And it's like 9.30 in the morning, so we're not, not going to do that. But if, say we were recording this evening and we were having a beer each, what would you be drinking? First of all, I'd say that I'm primarily a pub lover and then I'm a beer lover. And because of that, I'm um, very cask orientated my first ever pint was a wadworth 6x um, and i've always been fascinated by the best bitter style i do like darker beers um stouts milds that kind of thing mild is another obsession of mine this idea that we created a product which was let's call it a product it's a beer we created a brewed a product that was traditionally very high percentage and then because of Maybe was it because of the war or whatever, or, or licensing regulations or whatever? It just was slammed down to three percent. And so I like, I like it where you find different versions versions of that. And I think that's where craft is. What, what's interesting about when you talk about craft, I don't like that word anyway. What is craft? Is that people associate it with certain beer styles like IPAs, whereas that doesn't really interest me as much. But it's the other ones. It's when the, these breweries who specialise in IPAs are able to experiment with other traditional styles like mild and stouts, porters, that kind of thing. Because if you think about it, those, those are the ones that really needed to be revolutionised because what's the biggest stout? It's Guinness. You know, like, and Guinness is great for many reasons, but it doesn't offer that secondary taste, that kind of thing. I'm fascinated to ask you this question. I, I wasn't planning to ask it, but just from what you were saying and, and talking about the beer styles that you like, when I say India Pale Ale to you, What's your reaction? Because, I mean, it kind of dominates the craft beer scene now. Like, you know, you, you have brewers that, and I was speaking to another guest on this podcast, and he walks into a tap room and it's basically nine very slightly variant versions of a juicy IPA of around 5 to 8%. And then but you look at the history of India Pale Ale. Obviously, it was brewed, well, there's some contention about this, but, the, you know, the, the kind of overwhelming theory is it was brewed, strongly hopped as a preservative to survive the journey over to India to kind of, satiate the 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 beer appetites of the colonialists over in India and then it's now become kind of completely different like I just think you will have interesting thoughts and opinions on the phrase India pale ale so I'm just going to let you go where do you start really so like my dad used to we grew up in an area where there was um, a lot of green king pubs and so my dad drunk green king IPA and I drink it as well. I really like it. I really rate it. But I think what we're talking about here are American versions of approximations of a British recipe. So it's really difficult to sum this up in, in certain words. But obviously, the IPA is something that has completely saved the beer industry and brought lots of new people into it. But we don't talk about what you just talked about. We don't talk about the fact that these were products um, that were sold to soldiers and the East India Company. And so we don't talk about... In, in fact, I just I did a, a, a podcast with the equivalent of the BBC in Germany, and they interviewed um, loads of punters, and they most people had no idea. This was middle-class, learned Londoners, had no idea where the product originated from. Some people thought it came from India and was sent here and some rubbish like that. And really what it fits into is this idea of romanticizing empire. And this is a, um, not just beer that does this. If you're a fan of gin, you'll be familiar with Bombay Sapphire. Bombay Sapphire is a recently modern creation 
and it's made to look like something from the past. And it's this idea of colonial splendor. And that's the thing that I object to. I don't think there's any way we can get around the name. It's just become too ubiquitous. But the way that it's marketed is hugely problematic because it cuts out the fact that empire, like Desi pubs wouldn't exist. I wouldn't exist if it weren't for empire. We, we were just completely disrupted and uprooted by empire. And now we're marketed products that were sold as uh, part of this sort of blood money. And you've got to look at it like this. The East India Company, they had a private army that was something like 80 times bigger than the British army. And they were a bunch of mercenaries. They went over, they uprooted everything. They caused huge amounts of, they committed genocide. It's basically like a company like Amazon having a private army. This is one of the products that soldiers were sent. And so to have that romanticized really irks me. And you can see it in the marketing and the symbols of IPAs. I won't mention any because it gets too controversial when you go through them. I just feel that like the real way of doing this would be to support sort of a brewery in India, well, I know of, the probably won't mention here, that brews with Indian spices, with Indian herbs. That's the only ethical IPA that I can think of. But I think really, what, I don't want the name changed. I don't want. I don't like this idea of cancel culture and everything. But I think what we really should be doing is educating people. As, I want that that same video that wasn't video. I want the same interviews done in London where people know where what an IPA is, where it comes from. And I also want people to realise that Bombay Sapphire is just marketing, and it's not an actual product that was drunk by the Raj or whatever in nineteenth, twenty, early twentieth century India. Yeah, that's a that's a brilliant answer. Please come back and do another episode with me all about IPA because I feel like there is a whole episode here. Yeah, um, any time, any time you want. And, just and uh, the, yeah, let me know. Yeah. Okay. Look, I'm I'm aware that we are kind of running out of time. I guess I want to go back. I want to go back to the book because I think the way that you spoke about the Scotsman pub is really powerful, and I could just hear. I mean, myself, I was going right. I want to go there. When can I go? But you did mention earlier that whilst Desi pubs are kind of nationwide, they're kind of there are concentrations. So we've talked about the Scotsman in Southall. Where else are good starting points for people all around the country to go and you know visit one of these pubs and just experience? So I'd say like the ones that I've mentioned in London are like the standout ones because there were so many and so many areas that I left out. But the Regency um, is one that's compl- that was one of those clubs, but has now become this super restaurant. And I mean it in like that sense that you do need to book now, but it does have a bar where you could just go in and have a drink. And when I take anyone there, they're just taken away by the sort of, to use the right word here, colonial splendor. Because these are, um, they're Kenyans who have, so some of Gujaratis are people who are effectively double Desis. Uh, and it's just ironically that I'm one of those because my dad was born in Singapore. They take a bit of, obviously, a lot of Indian food, but also with African spices, that kind of thing. And then sort of Birmingham-wise, I'm just a massive fan of the uh, Red Cow in Smethwick, which is a very sort of down-to-earth sort of place. But it's that kind of post-racism thing that's because um, I think Oswald Mosley used to give his speeches in that pub, that kind of thing. And now it has this thing wow. where if you're um, a football fan, they want your business. And so it's near West uh, the Albion. And so they offer you free taxis to the game if you have a mixed grill. You know, so that. there's all this. There's lots of ones around that black country area that offer that great story but also there are massive pubs because unlike other cities they don't have huge rentals so they have really really big pubs which means they're completely playable if you've got family that kind of thing 
Right. Okay, we're going to have to wrap it up there, but thank you so much. It's been an absolutely fascinating discussion. Just to remind people listening, the name of the book is Desi Pubs, A Guide to British Indian Pubs, Food and Culture. And you can find it anywhere, but obviously Camera Bookshop, the place to get it. David, thank you so much and all the best. All the best. Thank you so much. Massive thanks to David Jezudarson for speaking to me there about his book, Desi Pubs, A Guide to British Indian Pubs, Food and Culture. And my copy arrived in the post this morning. I've had a flick through it. It looks awesome. I can't wait to go to one, well, maybe many of these pubs and try the food and the beer and see the general the general vibe. It's just a shame there's none in Cardiff. And actually, there's none really in the southwest uh, or the west of the country is a bit of a, a dead zone for these pubs, which is a shame. But there are plenty of places around the UK where you can find them. Uh, and I'm definitely going to try a couple of the ones out in, in London. And yeah, it's just it's great that, you know, some, some pubs that maybe were going to go out of business have got this new lease of life and it's a brilliant lease of life. And it proves that if you can make a pub a heart of the community and serve good beer, good food, provide a good welcome. Those are the basics and people will will go. So do check out David uh, David's book and do check out a Desi pub near you if you can find one. And you know, I'd love to I'd love to hear about it. So what is there to update you on? I'm afraid my own home brewing is in a real lull at the moment because simply I've just had so much work on. It's been really hard to find the time to brew. That's a bad excuse. Uh, I need to get on with it. I am working my way through those massively strong beers that I got through the Rebel Homebrewers Advent Exchange. They're amazing beers, but yeah, one one an evening at most when the ABVs are, are getting up uh, up and around 10. Next episode, uh, so obviously we've just had February's episode. Uh, that was this one. March's episode, I'm looking to interview uh, an author called uh, Adam Cartwright who's written a book all about Bateman's Brewery up in Lincolnshire and it's just something I spotted on beer Twitter but it looks like a real old school style book about a real old school style brewery I've I'm a few chapters in and it is fascinating I've always been fascinated by the kind of history of these of these breweries and the ones that are remaining like Palmer's down in Dorset um I guess maybe Fuller's to an extent as well I've always had a a fascination with these really old breweries because they have that that timeline that kind of stretches from today right the way back to you know the traditions of brewing in this country so hopefully we can track Adam down hopefully he's up for coming on if not we'll find another guest Uh, I am determined to get one episode out a month because I just love doing it and, and I know I get some lovely feedback as well from people who are enjoying it and you know beer talking about beer it's just a good thing there's always good stories and and that's really what this podcast is all about so look that's it for now the usual ending which is just to say until the next time we do an episode which will be in about a month's time we're going to stick to that that monthly routine oh before i tell you what i'm not going to do the ending straight away i'm going to remind you that we have a tiktok channel if you search nant vower brews on tiktok and remember Nant Vau is spelt N-A-N-T and then F-A-W-R. It's it's a Welsh word, so it sounds like a V, but it's spelt with an F. So Nant Vau Brews. If you search that on TikTok, there's actually quite a few videos up there now. Um, little clips from the last few episodes 
And also, um, you can see all the cider making videos that I made. I made little videos all throughout the process and put some silly music on there as well that somehow suited what was going on in the video. So you can check them out as well. Again, it's a time thing. If I can get a bit more time to post a bit more on TikTok, then I will. Anyway, having thought I had very little to say at the end, I've now waffled on for ages. So here we go. Let's wrap up the episode. Until the next time we make an episode, have a great life. Drink really good beer. Be kind to each other. And we'll see you next time.